Good morning, everybody. As I usually tend to do when trying to illustrate a lesson, I often begin with an embarrassing or humiliating story about myself. Today is no different. So to illustrate the point here, picture this. It's winter. It shouldn't be hard for you guys to picture that because we had about a whole season of winter, it felt like in three to four days last week. But it's winter. Four years ago, Ashley and I have just, uh, just started dating. September 22nd, if you were here last time, you remember that as our dating anniversary. So it's not long after that, and we get the bright idea that we want to go cross-country skiing. So there's a place not far from here. You go past Stephenfield Ski Birch by Rosal there. And so we say, yeah, let's go do that. So it's, it's late morning, and we get in Ash Ashley's SUV, and, and we head out that way. And so we're going there, and we're kind of following the signs along the way. We see Ski Hill. So we turn, naturally go down there, and, and I'm navigating, which is never a good idea, as you're about to find out. And we're going down, and I say, well, you know, let's take this turn here. This looks like it could be it. You know, and there's lots of snow on the road, so it's not easy to make out. But we get down there, and, you know, we're not in the ditch yet, and we're still going forward, so this is good. We continue down. We pass a house, and, oh, yeah, we're on a road. It's all good. We continue down this path, and, and as we get a little further down, there's a, there's a little stop sign in the ditch. I was like, man, they make those things small nowadays. Bit strange. You're gonna continue on. We're a little leery at this point now because uh, that was just it was just weird, and I don't really see how the road's gonna gonna come up ahead. And so we slow down a bit, and that's a big mistake because we slow down, and then sure enough, we're stuck. I took us down the wrong path, obviously. I mean, if there was one of these signs, snowmobiles only, I might have known a little bit better. I mean, kudos to Ashley; she drove three quarter mile down a snowmobile trail. <laughs> And if we would have kept hitting it hard, I'm sure we would have come out the other side. But again, we ended up down the wrong path. And that's the lesson that we want to look at today in these two verses uh, as we continue on slowly but surely through Colossians here in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We want to look at God's plan for us as Christians. That it doesn't just stop as soon as we get ourselves in Christ, but God actually has more expected of us and more that he wants to do with us going forward. To recap, this is the last little bit of uh, scripture that we looked at in the last lesson. We were talking about service there. We're going to go over it again. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attained to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, which, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. How powerful this must have been for the Colossians reading this letter from Paul. Paul was quite a, a renowned guy, and, and for him to take the time to look at this little church and to, to help set things straight there or keep things straight, it would have meant a lot to them. But these are words that, that we can take and apply to ourselves. We often use the idea of what would Paul or, or, or one of the prophets say if they were writing to our church here in Carmen. We're not a big group. But what would Paul say? Would, would he wish that we be encouraged? Certainly that letter would be full of encouragement. Would he want us to have full assurance in what we're doing? Definitely. 
How about a true knowledge? That was an important one, obviously. That's the reason he's writing this letter to the Colossians here, is that they can keep things straight. They don't let the, the heresies and the things knocking at their door infiltrate them. A true knowledge is important. And a true knowledge in who? A true knowledge in Christ. Paul would encourage us to be disciplined, to continue on. And when you discipline yourself for a long time, that helps you firm up and that gives you good stability. And that's important in our growth and in our walk with God. And again, he reminds us all this is to be done in Christ. See, Paul knew their situation. They weren't too small a church. And you are not too small for God to see your situation and to take care and to take notice of it. Paul was a good servant and a good example to us. Now, we look at this in the recap because I'm going to play Steve Harvey for a little bit. And if, for those of you who are listening on the recording, we've got the family feud screen behind us. Top four answers are on the board. And the reason we looked at that previous text is because the first word we see here is therefore, which means it's always referencing the previous text. One of the verses we're looking at today, Colossians 2, 6. It says, therefore, as you have received blank, blank the blank, so blank in him. Therefore, as you have received one, two, the three, so four in him. Now, I'm not going to get two people up here because there's no buzzers or anything like that. I'll just help you out through. Therefore, as you have received Christ. Now, if you're here for Dale's lesson last weekend, he looked at John 14, 15. And I think it was, I don't know how many words it was, 10 or 12 words in that one verse. But we looked at it, and, and the way we broke it down one word at a time, it, that really lent a lot of richness to the text. And so we'll just do that a little bit here with these four words. Therefore, as you have received Christ, and who is Christ? Well, there is no name, no name higher. He is God's chosen one. Is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One. I mean, He's essential. There's no getting around that. So therefore, as you have received Christ, number two, Jesus. What is that name, Jesus? In Hebrew, it is Yeshua. In the Koine Greek, it is Jesus. Also translated, Joshua. In Matthew 1.21, it's said there that they shall name him Jesus, for he will save man from his sins. See, names were quite important in the Hebrew. They had great meaning. You take Abram. That name was meant exalted father. But God changed his name, if you remember, to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. Names don't mean so much nowadays. I don't think we think of that, because my, my name, Russell, it means red-haired one. My brother has red hair, which is kind of weird. But no, his name's not Russell. Mine is. But obviously, names don't play that huge a deal. But Jesus' name definitely does. For it means God saves. God is salvation. The next one. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. We've kind of gone over the Lord one in a lesson uh, two times ago. Remember the CLR? Jesus is our Lord. He's our ruler. He's our king. If we're keeping in mind the lesson on service, he's our boss. Thinking back to that, that whole idea of how we are supposed to be servants and in service. In Romans 6, 17 and 18 it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 
So you're done with sin. That's good. You, got, you put that off. You put on your new self. But is there more to do after that? Is, is God done with you, you now that, that you've chosen him? No. And we'll see that it's not the idea of standing still and being idle. It is the idea of number four here. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Do not stand still in him and be idle and twiddle your thumbs. What does the word walk mean? I think we all have a good idea of, of what it is. It's to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities, to live, to regulate one's life. This is the idea of being active in him and not idle. And this is Paul's admonition to the church there and the admonition to us, us and all Christians. Don't just stand around. If you're not moving forward, they say you're moving backwards. This is the verse here that we just put together a little more clearly so you can all see it at once. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's interesting that everyone has a walk in life. In the same way that, that everyone has a faith in life. It might not be in the faith, as we know to be the gospel, but everyone puts their faith in something. If I'm an atheist, I'm putting my faith in the fact, I'm putting my trust and my assurance in the fact that there is no God. It is a decision. I think for all of us here, and, and why we're here in this building, is the fact that we have put our faith in God and in Christ. And that you guys are in the right spot. But the same way that we all have a faith, we all have a walk. We all have a journey that we go down. We all begin in the same spot, the same spot of sinners. And, and along the way, what do we see? We see signs. This is just a post now, but we see signs along the way where we can make decisions. As Chris talked about, there's choices to be made all the time. This is a sign maybe that the Colossians would have seen in their day. They would have seen, for salvation, go this way, because you can have Jesus and angels and asceticism and fasting, syncretism, you can have new moons and festivals, you can have philosophy. We'll jam that all together, stir it up, and that will be your salvation. But you've got to go this way for that. And that just sounds like a very busy, busy road. Paul says, give me one word on a sign, Jesus, that way. That is the way you go. I didn't mean to put it green and red, but it kind of works nicely. Stop and go. Today, we don't quite see that, especially because we're not in a, in, a, in a huge Jewish area. We don't see some of the customs uh, that are, are still prevalent there. But maybe a sign nowadays will look like, you know, everything goes... There's no one right way to do things. There's no one right way to heaven. Whatever you feel is right for you, that's probably good enough. That's your truth. That's fine. Whatever path you take, God is going to just bottleneck them eventually. And they'll all lead, to, all lead to him in the end. I mean, he's a loving God. He would never send someone to hell or separate himself from someone. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. It's all good. But, but if we look at Scripture we know that that is not necessarily the truth. It's a, it's a little more, I, I think it's simpler than that. That the sign stays the same there. I don't even have to press a button to change it. It's still Jesus. The sign may be withered because it's been that sign the whole time, but it's still the one that is the right way, the one that is lit up green. There are many ways that we can go about this walk. As, as, as we talked about, we see things along the way and we always have to make choices. Even, even after being a Christian, you have to make choices. But along the way, we can see signs such as this. In the Gospel of John 8 and 12, Jesus says, Then 
Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So you can walk in the light, or we can skip four chapters further down. Jesus' words again, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Quite a simple analogy. In our life now, since having the baby, he sleeps in our room, and you, of those who have had children, know that light is very stimulating for them. So, we've got the blackout curtains, all that, taped her down on the sides, there ain't no light getting in there. Which is good. Except for when I come to bed later on, and I'm banging on every little thing that comes in there, or Ash gets up in the night and her shin ricochets off the side of the bed. Because it's hard to walk in the dark, right? It doesn't take a very high level of knowledge to know that it is easier to go forth in the light. What other ways can we walk? Beginning of chapter 8 in Romans, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now today we're talking all about, about God's plan for us as Christians. We see God's plan here for salvation in the first little bit of this text here. To send his son, save, save us from our sins. But at the end there he says, Who do not walk according to the flesh, who do not walk according to the ways of the world, the selfishness in ourselves, but according to the Spirit who leads us. We're still walking here. In Ephesians, Paul says at the beginning of chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world. We all have our footprints in the sands of sin, because that's where our walk always begins. Only Christ was able to bypass that because he did not sin. But we have all been at that point at some time. That is where we began on our journey. I like that it has the word, the course of this world. Replaying kind of the, the idea of a track, of a journey. And so we see this example of, of not this, but this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Interesting that, that that verse, it just came up in a, we have a Bible, it's kind of a Bible study, a daily Bible, Bible verse that Miles McMillan, some of you will remember Miles, most of you probably will. He'll be here in a couple weeks, I believe too. But he kind of put it together on, on this app called WhatsApp. And so every day he posts the verse of the day and then post some thoughts. And, and anyone can post some thoughts on there. So it's, it's a great thing to start your day with and get your mind right. If any of you would like to be added to that, uh, definitely talk to me. Um, and you can definitely talk to Miles when he's here too. He's the one who has power to, to add you to it. But this verse we had, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, on there just uh, a couple days ago. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now that can be hard to walk by faith, putting our, our trust in someone else. We like to be in control ourselves, right? But how nice is it when we're in the darkness, if we reach our hand out to God and trust Him to guide us through? I don't think there's anyone else I'd rather have guiding me through a tough spot than God Himself. Because we, we know He's going to do the right thing. He's going to navigate the path perfectly. But that's a big part of it. It's not by sight. 
It will be by sight one day when we are with God. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and 11, this is a verse from the King James. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Paul's not happy to hear this, that there are some that are, that are being idle, that are being disruptive in the church. And he says, you know, that is not the way we want you to walk. Again, that idea of not like that, but this. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragment aroma. To walk in love. Not necessarily easy to do. Something we should always have our minds on. Because love is truth. In John's second letter, verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Again, we're, today we're looking at God's, God's plan, and it is a commandment that he wants us to walk in truth. He wants us to go a certain way, to choose certain things along the way that lead us to him. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That doesn't sound like standing idle once we become a Christian. It sounds like there's something planned for us still. God has a purpose for us. And we will see that going forward here. This is Paul's encouragement and God's path and what God does for us as soon as we enter into his son. We recognize this little sketch here, these four pictures. This, of course, is the parable that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the four soils. As we should be doing, as good servants of Christ, we should be like Johnny Appleseed out there, throwing the word all over the place for everybody to see, to come across. So on our path, these are some of the things that happen. We see that some of the, some of the word lands on the path where the birds get at it and doesn't even have a chance to take root or anything. And the, the people just don't take it right away, so it's gone. That is not God's ideal. Next, the word hits someone and they, they try and put their roots down, but the ground is rocky. They're not in a great place to do it. They don't follow through and it doesn't work out. After that, we're getting a little better. Someone, it really hits home to someone, and they really agree. You know, this is something I want to try and do, but, but their circumstances, their, their faith is not, is not rooted deep enough, and other things in their life get in the way. And their faith is too elementary, and, and the thorns get in there, and they choke it out. And again, this is not God's plan for you. We see in the last picture a wonderful tree bearing fruit, strong and healthy, its roots deep, strong, firm, this is God's ideal for you. That you abide in him. In John 15. That is how we bear fruit. When we are connected to the source. And that is what God does for you. When you are baptized into Christ. You put off the old self and put on the new. And what God does is attach you then to the source of his power. This is what God wants for, for you. And he's going to do his part. Our goal here as Christians, I hope, is all the same, and that is it, to spend eternity with God, to be in heaven with him. Should that then not be our main focus now as we walk on earth? Should we not be making decisions with our eyes downfield at the big goal and not just the small hurdles in front of us? 
I like that downfield analogy because I'm a sports guy, and that's they always tell quarterbacks, keep your eyes downfield. That's where the prize is. Something we should be doing as well. So God's goal for us is that we are firmly rooted, and he will do that for us. But we at first have had to make the decision to choose him. He's not just going to connect us to his source of power without us choosing him first. But this is what God wants to do for you. The Hebrew writer, at the end of chapter 5, he really shoots his audience straight. He says, you should be teachers at this point, but you need milk, as an infant does. You're still stuck on the elementary teachings. Solid food, he says, is for the mature, who who by practice have trained themselves. That's how they've grown, they've practiced, they've worked at it. Growth is the result of being firmly rooted. If we just stand idle, we are not going to grow. It's simple as that. Good example. In grade five, I had a choice to take French or German. I didn't really care. I still don't much. <laughs> but some, a lot of my friends went into the French class, so there I went as well. And so every year, from grade five to grade nine or ten, whenever I could finally quit French and did, every year we had a new teacher. For whatever reason, it was kind of a, a freak thing. It was someone would retire, someone would, would leave or transfer or go on maternity leave. But every year we had a new teacher. And so we always started from the beginning. So je m'appelle Russell, comment ça va? Sounds pretty good. That's basically the extent of my French. My name is Russell. How are you, I believe? <laughs> but that is basically the extent of it because I never grew I was committed to French at first. I wanted to be rooted down deep in it, and I was rooted down in the elementary teachings. But after that, I never explored any further. The desire to learn more left me, and therefore I never did grow. I never learned more in French. How about this gentleman? Some of you will recognize the Hulkster up here with his 24-inch pythons, as he always liked to say. Now. If I want to look like Hogan up here and have big arms like that, I know I'm not far off now, but if I want to, if I want to achieve that level, and I don't want to hear about the steroids and stuff that pro wrestlers always do, bear with me for the sake of the illustration. If I want to be built up to that level, I can't just work with the 10s my whole life. I've got to move up to the 15s, the 20s, eventually get up to the 100s to build myself up. There has to be a level of commitment and focus from me. My body's not just going to go to Hollywood Hulk Hogan size by just me saying, okay, I hope to get there, but I'm just going to not do the work. I'm going to stay on 10. My walk's going to stop here for now. No, that's not going to be how it, how it works. In 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter here. It's Paul writing. And I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, 
but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Duane read for us that text out of the Sermon on the Mount, and you know it began with, with taking the narrow path and not the wide path. So we've talked about walking down that. We've, we've done the reference with, with the parable of the sower, and we've seen the tree grow up, which is also referenced about being, being a good tree and bearing good fruit. But it also talks about building on a solid foundation in that text. And we have a solid foundation. God has laid it down already for you. That is Christ Jesus. There is no other foundation that you want to be built on. You want to be built on the rock. As we look in Isaiah 28:16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. See, God wants you to be built up. He doesn't want you to just sit there. He's laying the foundation down, and that is Christ. It says it's a costly cornerstone. And as we talked about and remembered around the table, it was a great cost to God. See, God's got this blueprint for you, for your life. As we've talked about before, he doesn't just, okay, you're baptized into Christ and, and you've accepted Christ, that's great. He doesn't just put you in a pile now and say, I'm going to go back and focus on those who are not. Don't get me wrong, God is wanting to call these that are not Christians to him as well. But he still has a plan for those who are his sons and daughters now. He's got a blueprint for you. This is the construction of your faith, how it grows. And our response and our consciousness allows God to build us. We're tapped into his power. So God wants you to be firmly rooted. He wants you to be built up. Because this is the way that he can establish you. He wants you to be established. This is the result of your building and your growth, that you are resolute now. You are confirmed. What do you think of when you think of the word established? You think of something as being in existence for a long time. The church in Carmen here has, has that reputation. We've been in existence for a long time here. I mean, I've only been involved for a very short number of years, but you look at the pictures out in the hall, some of those go back a long way. Our reputation here is one that is always struck, stuck in the faith. Where Christ is our rock here, and that is what we are anchored to, and we can be proud of that. God wants us to be secure. He wants to bring us into existence. That's another word I think of when I think about establishment. That not only is it existing for a long time, but it had to be brought into existence. You see, when people get married, they always have that... The McLeods. Existence... S-E-S-T, and the year they got married, 2017. I know. But you see that. So it's bringing something into existence, to establish something. God established you at some point when you made the decision to follow him. It was God's power that brought you into relationship with him. 
wouldn't it be nice if, it, if there was a verse that summed up all my points? And oh, look, there is. The second verse that we're looking at today, Colossians 2 and 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. We'll get to that last part in a bit. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 15. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. That sounds exactly what the Colossians are dealing with now, doesn't it? But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See, God has a plan for you individually as well. But he also has a plan for the church. And that is that we are all working together to get stronger, to reach new heights, to align ourselves more closely with his will, to represent him in a better way. And that's something no matter how old we are, how, how, how young we are, where we feel that we are in our walk, we are always to be striving to new heights because we will never reach a spot where we say, I know it all. But we must continue on. There's a good example of this process. And now, I know this parable of the mustard seed, it's talking about the kingdom of God and how it will grow. But since we've kind of been talking about trees and, and buildings today, this is where we start. Now, this is a black mustard seed. When I was looking at this, it's, it's, it says in that parable about a mustard plant and that, that birds would sit in its branches. And I, was, I typed in mustard plant, and none of them are very big. They're like three to five feet tall, and branches look pretty weak, wouldn't even have a chickadee sit on there without it sagging. And so I was wondering a little bit about that. But apparently, what was mentioned there was a black mustard. And so that tree can actually go quite big. It, it, it's said to grow as tall as a horse with its rider on top. So 9 to 12 feet tall, maybe. And that birds would actually be able to sit in its branches. But see, the mustard seed, like us, it starts very small. It starts as nothing. It does not start out on God's team. But over time, it hears the word and, and it makes a decision that it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. And it sends out roots. And it roots itself and attaches itself to the source. And from there, it grows. It grows and grows and grows until it establishes itself as a big tree. Interesting thing about, about trees is that they don't ever really stop growing. Maybe there's a certain kind that does, but... In my research, all trees continue to keep growing. They might not continue to get as tall, but often you'll see them sprout out wide and, and new little buds will form. It's a good example uh, for us to try and follow. Emulate a tree. It's said on there that we are to be overflowing with thankfulness. And it was just Thanksgiving, so hopefully we still have a bit of that that in us and a bit on uh, in reserve that we can still use but the reason I think that we should be overflowing with thankfulness is that God has given us a map to navigate this path that we're on here 
We have the Bible. And when we know our Bible better, blocking out the wrong signs and, and cutting off the wrong paths, that becomes easy. Everything becomes light. It's almost like the path is illuminated to us. But we have to know our Bible. Again, God wants to do these things for you. He wants to build you up. He wants you to be firmly rooted. He wants to establish you. That is his plan for you. But we too have to do our part. We have to be conscious and make decisions. The route that God wants us down is not hidden. We talked about that, that footprints in the sand last week and how, how so nice that is that, that when we feel alone, God is with us. How nice is it on a walk to walk with someone else? Some of you may enjoy going for a walk alone just to get your own thoughts. But even then, there is God with you. There's a church with you. To close, in the beginning of the, the reading that, that Dwayne read for us in Matthew 7, it talks about the narrow and the wide gate. So there are two paths. But we know better. We know that there is really only one way. In John 14, verse 6, close with this, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me.